Hello everyone. Welcome to this episode of Opera After Dark. Today on the podcast, we're talking about Looney Tunes. <laughs> I wish we were talking about Looney Tunes, but Elspeth, not what's you, happening. You got to give it up at a certain point. No, you I don't. Just... No, I don't. <laughs> Actually, that's true. You really don't. I really don't. <laughs> I, I want. Nor will you. I want to be a voice for all the people out there listening who don't care for this music. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, most of you out there will know that today we are actually talk- talking about the second opera in Wagner's Ring Cycle, Die Valkyrie. Die the Valkyries. The Valkyrie. I had a little um, tu- pronunciation tutoring session uh, a couple of weeks ago with and? the editor-in-chief of Opera News. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, excellent. And he was trying to encourage me in my pronunciation because I was doing it correctly. And to make me smile, he said, just think of like a kitten holding a spear, die Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I don't know how that's supposed to help me. Die Valkyrie. Uh, but did it I think you? It makes me smile every time like I think does, of it. Yeah. So... I think it also keeps you, when you have at least something to picture, then you're not focusing so hard on the mm-hmm. actual syllables. Because when you think really hard about die Valkyrie, then it, it sounds really clunky, you know? Yes, and sometimes you can like lean into that umlaut a little bit too much. So. <laughs> die Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah, yes, like that. <laughs> so this is the second opera in the never-ending saga of Wagner's ring of Wagner's ring so in our last episode we talked about Das Rheingold which even though it is an opera that is two and a half hours long Wagner conceived it as just the prelude to the story <laughs> mm-hmm. right so Die Valkyrie is the opera where like the real story begins right right oh okay mm-hmm. where, or the focus of the saga I guess you can you can say Last week, we made many, many comparisons to The Lord of the Rings. I, I feel like I'll try to rein that in a little bit. <laughs> I feel but... like we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones today. Yes, I would agree oh, with Oh, dang. Yes. In our previous episode, we did make a lot of comparisons to other fantasy 
works of literature. And I'm sure these things will come up again and perhaps some others. But the ring cycle itself was drawn, as we've talked about, from Norse mythology and Norse legend. Um, And so some of the character names in this are quite close to actual characters in Norse mythology. Some of the names are different, even though there's like a parallel character, like we talked about Odin and Wotan, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a little bit of that. And there's also an excerpt in this musically that probably if you know nothing about opera and you're listening to this podcast for the first time just because you're curious, it's your lucky day because there's an excerpt from this opera that you probably know without knowing that you know it because like everybody's heard it before in some strange, bizarre context. Not from the opera, probably. (laughs) Yeah, having Um, nothing to do with the opera. Having nothing to do with the opera, but it's extremely epic music. So um, we'll get to that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I guess we will just dive right in with the story. So if you didn't listen to Das Rheingold, you might want to do that, our episode on it, just to get some background. Um, And prior to that, I mean, you should listen also to the episode on Wagner because right. it's it's part of the whole picture. I mean, I feel like you need to understand a little bit about the man and his music and then what he put together in the ring. Take it away, Naomi. <laughs> All right. So in the time that has passed between Das Rheingold and Die Valkyrie. How many years is that? Does it matter? The, a specific year span is not specified. So um, later. Later. It's many years later, and we'll get to why it might be many years later mm-hmm. in a moment. And so at the end of Das Rheingold, the gods, including Wotan, they all go into Valhalla, the mm-hmm. castle. Uh, Fafner, remember, he <laughs> stole the ring. And if everybody remembers the magic hat... Mm-hmm. <laughs> called, how could you how could you forget how could you forget the tarn helm is a magical helmet technically speaking from das rheingold that can not only make the person wearing it turn invisible yes there's lord of the rings parallels but also you can shape shift when you're wearing the tarn helm and so Fafner has used the Tarnhelm to turn himself into a dragon mm-hmm. so that he, so he can most effectively guard the ring and all of the Rheingold deep, deep in the forest. All right. So that's happened and he's the he is the keeper of the ring right now. Fafner the dragon. Wotan in this intervening period between the two operas. Wotan has gone to Erda, who is the earth goddess, and her motif, actually, she has her own light motif. Her motif sounds like the Valhalla motif, I believe, but it's like turned to minor. Hmm. That's odd that the earth goddess would have a minor motif. It is, but she's kind of like a... a, mystical force and so oh. she has I thought a, you're gonna I thought you're gonna say she's like a Debbie Downer no <laughs> well maybe a little bit in the opera comes out and she's like Votan stop being such a douche kind <laughs> of so Votan goes to Erda yes he goes to Erda like, get your shit together well sort of he goes to Erda and he's like I need wisdom and help because there's this whole ring issue that is unresolved and while he's yeah, there is that 
Right, it's his fault. Well, while he's there with Erida, seeking seeking wisdom, mm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. he ends up giving birth to a daughter. Not he, sorry. <laughs> Erida. <laughs> he fathers a daughter by Erida. Oh, Erida is the mother? Yeah, Erida and Wotan get it on and they oh. create Brunhilde. Oh, 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 oh. I thought you were, wow, you're, never right, mind. So this I happened thought... in like the interim. In the interim, yes. Oh, okay, okay, I'm with you, got it. This, this happens between the two operas. We haven't started the second opera plot yet. Right, okay. Okay. I'm Kyle, are you still with me? Yes, I'm with you. I thought you were getting to his other, Votan's other illegitimate, illegitimate children. And so I was getting confused, but that's fair. No, there are more illegitimate children. They're coming. Mm. Um, but we know for sure that Brunhilde is the daughter of Erda and Wotan. She is technically a Valkyrie. They are basically godlike warriors. They, they are warrior women with kind of godlike powers. And if you saw Thor, if you saw Thor Ragnarok, they are... You're in Thor Ragnarok. There you go. They, oh, right. They are. They are. They ride their horses um, to battlefields like on Earth and they pick up all of the fallen soldiers who have died and then they bring them back. They like ride across the sky into the heavens and mm-hmm. bring them to Valhalla. And then they kind of like this. The soldiers get like eternal life in Valhalla. But the reason they do this is because Wotan has charged them with doing this so that um once he gets the ring back, if someone comes looking for the ring, he has a whole army to protect Valhalla, right? Selfish reasons. Yes, there's a lot of selfish reasons. So we, the Valkyries, there's there's nine of them in the opera. They're all sisters, we know. Um, but whether Erida is the mother of all of them is never specified. We believe that Wotan is the father of all Among of them. them. Um but let's just assume that in this intervening period, he got together with Erida and they had nine... Nine times. Nine children. Um, all all girls that become these amazing warrior warrior women that nice. ride their horses across the sky. Super right? badass. They yeah. are very badass, yes. I think they're my favorite characters because of that. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Since you just mentioned the whole thing about Valhalla... Uh, that's like a, a very prominent feature in Norse mythology. I feel like it's mm-hmm. worth worth mentioning that. Uh, if you want to have a wonderful example of this, you should watch the show on Netflix, Vikings. Uh, yes. Because they, oh, someone recommended that to me the other day. It's it's a good show. It's a good show. Some aspects are like really cheesy, and mm-hmm. like it's in some ways feels like an off-brand Game of Thrones. Mm. But but it it's does a good predate show. Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones became a television series. Oh yeah, it was made before it. I know that apparently the way that they are costumed in the show, Vikings, is a source of bitter contention with people who actually study Viking culture because apparently a lot of assumptions and stereotypes were played into in the costuming mm-hmm. that mm. we know are not accurate. But I'm not an expert in that. I just witnessed yeah. a debate about it once um, i mean certainly vikings did not wear helmets with horns on them like that that is true and actually was not a thing fun fact i know when that became a thing that people Ooh, thought when please it do thing. tell so in the original 
world premiere of the entire Ring Cycle when all four operas were first performed together at Bayreuth. They mm -hmm. designed a whole new production of sets and costumes for all four productions. And the costume designer, his name was Carl Doppler, and he really wanted to differentiate visually the characters that were gods or demigods or godlike, right, from mere mortals in the story. And mm -hmm. so to do that, he wanted to make, especially the Valkyries, he wanted to make them look incredibly... He wanted to make them look like like gods, right? Or that they were children of the gods. So they needed to be dressed in these kind of fantastical ways. And they needed to somehow suggest that they flew across the sky in their horses or that they had kind of magical powers, supernatural powers, right? And so to mm -hmm. do that, he created these headpieces with like the wings coming off a headpiece, ah. right? of these women and so they didn't wear wings on their back they actually had them in like a wing-like helmet and so over time people just assumed that because the story was drawn from norse mythology and the ring cycle became so popular that people assumed that vikings wore winged helmets and mm. it's mainly because of wagner's ring cycle that that particular stereotype exists at all because wow depictions of Vikings wearing winged helmets is not like an authentic, uh, true to life thing. It only appears in depictions of Vikings and Norse mythological characters after the premiere of the ring cycle. So. Mm. Fucking Wagner. <laughs> yeah. It's really, I mean, Norse mythology is extremely fascinating. Mm -hmm. I am nowhere near being well-versed in any of it. But right. yes, I did just want to make mention that it was a thing for Viking being like a a warrior culture that men wanted to prove themselves in battle so that hopefully once they die epically in battle, then they'll be taken to Valhalla in the afterlife. That was mm -hmm. pretty much the primary goal mm -hmm. uh, right. was to go and and do this. So pretty interesting. And I think the whole idea of the Valkyries bringing fallen soldiers to Valhalla is drawn from that mythology. And yeah. so in order to be worthy of being brought to Valhalla, you need to die this epically mm -hmm. uh, brave death in battle, right? Right, right. There right. are some really interesting YouTube videos about Norse mythology. Uh, we'll try to link to some, but certainly you just can search it. Uh, there's some good stuff out there if you have yeah. a half an hour to kill. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so Brunhilde, daughter of Erda and Wotan, eight other sisters of hers, daughters of Wotan, all Valkyries. Um, their whole goal is to kind of bring soldiers back to Valhalla so that Valhalla is protected should the ring fall into the wrong hands or should anybody try to destroy Wotan. And so in this intervening period, he also wanders around and Wotan finds another race of mortal beings human-like beings called the Vulsung oh and right so he also has two more illegitimate children mm. with yeah, he does an unnamed Vulsung woman and those two children are twins okay their names are Siegmund and Sieglinda and 
They are separated from a very young age. A bunch of stuff goes down. The twins get separated. They grow They grow up not really knowing that they have a sibling or that the other exists. And we learn that the reason that Wotan did this, the reason he went and slept with this Volsung woman and fathered two more children, is that because he is the god of oaths, right? Mm-hmm. Remember from our last episodes? He is not allowed to break any oaths that he has made or else he loses his power. And But in order to get the ring back, he would have to do some underhanded things and break some oaths that he's made if he himself gets the ring back. So his whole plan is that he's tried to literally father a child who was not a god and therefore outside of his oath circle right circle of oaths and so his idea was that if i father a child that's of the volsung race who's not a god then they can get the ring back and give it to me basically this kid can do the work for me and i can still hold all of my power because i don't have to break any of my oaths so that was his whole reason for fathering zigmund and siglinda in the first place Zygmunt and Zieglinda are unencumbered by any of the treaties pertaining to the gods, and Wotan hopes that Zygmunt will one day get the ring back. Okay. Very nice. Now, that's what happens in between the operas. (laughs) When the opera begins, Mm -hmm. it begins with this really fantastic storm in the orchestra. So it's really intense as soon as the curtain opens, and you see Zygmunt kind of fleeing. He's running, he's on the run, and he is looking for shelter. And so I feel like we should listen to a little bit of the Oh, storm. we definitely should. Gosh, yeah. I was hoping you would pause for it because yeah. it's the music is so cool. It's like, it reminded me just listening to it recently of kind of like a, a film score. Like mm-hmm. it, it just so clearly depicts the mood of what's going on yes. when you hear it. And once again, I, I hate to overuse the term, but it sounds pretty badass. It does. And also a lot of people talk about how of all of Wagner's operas, Die Valkyrie is the one that they think most closely achieves everything that he believed a Gesamtkunstwerk, the total work of art, could achieve. Mm-hmm. And so it's not only the most lyrical but it also is the most tightly knit together in terms of creating this like film music-like score underneath everything that's happening. So yeah, here's a little bit of the storm.
All right, so Zygmunt, he is fleeing. He is on the run and he collapses underneath a tree and he has no uh, no sword, he's unarmed, he's wounded. And so he collapses and kind of like faints by the tree. And this is when we first meet him. And then a woman enters. We learn that that is Zieglinda. And uh, we don't learn that for a while. Well, we don't know Zygmunt's name for a while. We just oh, see like. Oh, that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. A man runs in, right? <laughs> and then he collapses under the. Some dude collapses under the tree and he's hurt. And then this woman comes in. We learn later her name is Zyglinda. And she sees this man under the tree. And the music tells you that there is an immediate attraction between these two people. So okay? let's pause mm-hmm. for a second. <laughs> I want to remind everyone that although they were separated at birth, these are twins, and they are going to fuck each other. And everyone's <laughs> everyone's fine with it. It seems wow, like everybody's spoilers, fine Elspeth, with it. Spoilers. Oh, come on. You all knew it was going to happen. Didn't you? You all knew it was going to happen. Immediate yes. attraction. You know that they're brother mm-hmm. and sister. What thing's going to happen in this? Right. They They are, for lack of a better anecdote, the Jamie and Circe of this story. Yes, but I guess yeah. not as bad because they weren't raised together. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Do they know they're related when they... Not when they meet. When they have sex? Oh, definitely. Definitely, yes. Oh, come on! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, go on. There's just, a, just go on. There's a great slash horrible line where... I'll, well, I'll save it for the, for that scene. Oh, okay. There is, yeah, there is. There's a part later in the opera where, um, who is it? Fricka, who is like, yeah, this is like incest. This is wrong. Like, yeah, you're skipping you ahead. You're skipping Sorry, ahead. it's it, Elspeth's it. fault. Elspeth's fault. Fine. Okay, immediate immediate attraction right. between these two, mm-hmm. and. So Zygmunt wakes up, and he's kind of like, oh, hello, who are you? Who are you, beautiful woman that looks like me? <laughs> yes, and actually, <laughs> in a lot of productions, they make sure that, like, the two singers singing Zyglinda and Zygmunt have, like, at least matching hair. Mm-hmm. Um, right, like matching wigs. Matching yes, wigs. matching wigs. So in the Met production, when they did it live in HD, Ava Maria Westbrook was Zyglinda, and Jonas Kaufman was Zygmunt. And there's a great moment where he has to, like, untie his hair. And as I watched it for the first time, I was like, I get it. You both have the same <laughs> hair. You're twins. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Okay. So they talk, and they are learning about each other. And uh, we hear in the music there is growing interest, growing emotion. And Zygmunt at one point is like, I think I need to go. Like, I shouldn't be here. And then Zyglind is like, why? Why do you need to go? Stay. And then he says, well, basically bad things follow me everywhere I go. So much so that my name is um, Vevolt, which is like woeful. or mm-hmm. Dramatic. So, yes, he's very dramatic. He's like, I even call myself sorrow because my life is so terrible. <laughs> Okay, so Zygmunt says, I have to go because trouble follows me. And Zyglinda's like, don't go. My life is horrible too. You should just stay and, and <laughs> meet my husband. How much worse could it get? Kind of. She's like, you know, I have a horrible life too. You should stay. You should meet my husband and you should, you know, rest and restore yourself before you move on. And then he's like, why is your life so horrible? 
And we learn that she was forced into marrying Hundig against her will. And she's basically just waiting for somebody to come and rescue her. Hmm. Zygmunt also shares his life story. And he tells her that basically he's had a horrible life since like day one because his earliest memory is his mother being killed in front of his eyes and his sister being taken from them or stolen or gone, disappeared. Mm. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. All right. And so Zieglinda says that's horrible, but that was a long time ago. Like, what happened now? Why are you on the run? And why are you wounded? And he said, oh, well, I saw this wedding and I saw a woman being forced into marrying somebody against her will. So I tried to jump in and break it up and save her. Um, but it didn't go so well and everything was destroyed. The bride ended up dead and I had to flee. (laughs) 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 So that's why I'm here. Your brother's great. Right. Your brother lover. (laughs) I'm a brother lover. You're a brother lover. We should each other's brothers. Fuck each other. Okay. No, finish it. Finish it. Finish it. Want you to finish it? <laughs> okay. All right. So then who comes in but Hunding, Zieglinda's husband. And when he comes in, you hear his motif, which you're going to hear like a thousand times before the end of the opera. It's really obvious that he's not a good guy, but he's also like aggressive. And, you know, so his motif sounds like this. <laughs> I'm your husband. Lots of brass. Lots of brass. Yeah. So then he walks in and he's like, wife, who is this man? <laughs> and she says, his name is Sorrow or Vevelt. Oh, and Jesus. He is, he is fleeing. He, he has been wounded. He has fleed or flown from this battle. And um, he needs a place to rest and restore himself. And Hundig is like, interesting. What battle are you fleeing from? And Zygmunt says, this one where I tried to help a poor bride at a wedding being forced to marry someone against her will, and she ended up dead and everyone ended up destroyed. And now her whole family or posse of people are trying to capture me. Well, I mean, that's fair, right? (laughs) Well, (laughs) she is there. Like, everyone's... He's the reason everybody's dead. dead. Right. And so... Do you remember um, in Monty Python and the Holy Grail... Where Sir Lancelot um, gets the note from that prince, and he goes in to rescue him from marrying this princess that he doesn't want to marry, and he literally just kills everyone in the <laughs> castle, and it's five minutes of him just like killing all these people who are getting ready for a wedding. That's what I'm imagining in my head. I think that's a good parallel. I mean, that's what it sounds like happened. <laughs> He's <still> like, <laughs> yeah, he just killed everybody. Right. Go on. Yes. All right. They they are so, fairly high to hunt you down. Right. So then Hundig says, interesting. 
I'm one of those people trying to hunt you down and kill you. Of course. Right? Oh, no, Sara, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done? And then he's like, but you know what? I'm a man of honor, so I'm going to let you rest and get your strength back, and we'll settle this tomorrow. He is stabbed. I know. He just needs a day. I guess I, he is half god. Oh, he doesn't know that. Well. But I think Hundig is just like, I'm too I'm too tired to, to fight you right now. I want beer. I want dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's like, who wants to fight after such a long day? Let's do this in the morning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, as they're talking about this, Zyglinda is like eyeballing, side-eyeing the tree. <laughs> okay. That the what? The tree that's like in this area where their home is. Because she tells Zygmunt earlier in her whole sad story about her life that while she was at this wedding to Hundig being forced to marry him, this stranger arrived in like a dark cloak and he scared everybody and he plunged this sword into a tree and he basically said that only the bravest person can pull out this sword and whoever can do it can save use Glinda and basically everybody else. Oh, she thinks Sorrow, the bride murderer, is going to be able to get <laughs> the sword out? So she has faith that, I guess, because she feels this, like, you know, unexplainable attraction to, to this man, brother, to her one. brother. And so she's convinced that he's the one who will be able to pull the sword out of the tree and save her. And so she's kind of eyeing the tr- uh, eyeing the sword. And we also know that, like, everybody, including Hundig, has tried to pull the sword out of the tree and no one's been successful. It's like a whole, like, the sword in the stone situation, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and so uh, she's kind of eyeing it to basically try and communicate to Zygmunt that, like, this sword can be the sword that changes everything for you and for us. So then... Hundig's like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, woman, get me something to eat. And then while she's getting him something to eat, she actually drugs his beer Mm -hmm. or beverage and like really heavily. And so he drinks it, he kind of passes out. And then as he's passed out, Zyglinda's like, then explains it to Zygmunt, like get that sword out of that tree. This is how it got there. Uh, you're going to save us. You're going to save me. We can run away. And Zygmunt is like, OMG, I love you. <laughs> you are everything I ever wanted in a woman and more. And then they have this very passionate moment where she's like, OMG, I love you too. I've never felt this way before about anybody. And then he says to her, um, he says, he says to her, I think you're right. I think this sword was left for me. And then they start talking about this. And oh, then he says, on this man. He, he talks about his father. And then Zyglinda's like, what's your father's name? And he's like, my father's name is Valsa. And she's like, ooh, interesting. I think my father's name was Valsa too. And then <laughs> these fucking idiots. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then so... They have this moment where they realize, legitimately realize, that they are twins. And then Zyglinda's like, your name is not Vevolt or Woeful Sorrow. Your name is Zygmunt. And they're like, yes, it is. And then this is the line that is great and awful at the same time. Zygmunt literally has a, a line where he's like, my sister and my wife. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Yes. 
So, even though she's married to somebody else, he, like, plans to save her, steal her away, marry her, and live happily ever after with her. Okay? So then he goes and goes up to the tree, and she's like, pull the sword, Zygmunt, pull the sword. And he's like, I named this sword uh, Notung. And so then as soon as he does that, he's, like, standing in front of the tree. His hands usually go up above his head because the sword's a bit high. And then there's this huge dramatic light motif as he pulls the sword out of the tree. And it is the sword motif. And it sounds like this. sword so he's ready to fight hunding and he has this passionate love that is growing by the second with Siglinda, his, his twin sister twins twins and then they have this moment where he sings probably like the only isolated or excerptable aria in the entire ring cycle it's called the wintersturma and it's all about their, like, passionate love for each other couched in, like, weather-related metaphors, like, spring <laughs> is coming and um, everything will blossom in the springtime and and that type of thing. And so uh, we'll listen to a little bit of that because it's... I know this is... Music is not Elspeth's favorite, but for most people that love Wagner, they love this moment. And um, also, it. I think it is probably the most beautiful one of the most beautiful moments in the ring i think if we're only talking about the sound of the music Oh, 
still in act one this is the end of act one jesus christ (laughs) and so act yes that is act one he's got the sword they're in love the end yes okay act two curtain thank you you're welcome yes Act two. Now we are in the realm of the gods. We're high up on a mountain ridge. And this is when we first meet Brunhilda, Wotan's daughter by Erda, the earth goddess. She comes in. You hear her motif as she comes in, kind of hinted at. It's a motif that will grow into the big epic moment that everybody knows later on in act three. Um, And so she comes and she arrives And she has this moment with Wotan and we can see that they are definitely like Brunhilde is his favorite daughter. You get that they're very close. All right. Then Fricka arrives. And remember from last episode that Fricka is Wotan's wife Mm -hmm. and she is the goddess of family values. Okay. Oh, well, talk I bet about she's a, a downer. Lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. She has some choice words for mm-hmm. her philandering husband. All right. And so she basically says to him, You are disgusting, and what you're doing is corrupt, and it's all because of this ring that you want, and you have basically debased yourself by not only cheating on me with both. Erda and this random Volsung woman, mm-hmm. but also now the twins that you spawned are reveling in incestuous love and you're just letting it happen with no problem whatsoever. And she's like, that is unacceptable. It's an abomination. We have to end this. And Votan is like, no, I don't really want to end it. Why can't we just let them be? And Fricka's like, not good enough, not mm-hmm. a good enough reason. And then she's like, be honest with me. Why are you letting these two live? And Votan says, well, actually, the reason that I had these kids in the first place is because I wanted someone who was outside of the bounds of the gods' treaties and oaths so that he can grow up to be brave and strong and go rescue the ring for me and bring it back for me. He's like, so he's basically saying, I did this so that Zygmunt can get the ring back for me. And Fricka says to him, if you think that that makes him outside of your treaties and oaths, you're wrong because if he actually does recover the ring, it will only be because you manipulated his whole life to make that happen. And so he's still kind of being, he's still bound up in your power as a god. And so he's not outside of all of the treaties, um, he can't he can't do this and have it be like squeaky clean on your end because you're gotcha. pulling all the strings, right? So then he's like, "Dang it, defeated by my wife's logic!" And so then he turns to Brunhilda and he's like, "Brunhilda, when Zygmunt fights Hundig in the morning, right? Because remember they're going to have this fight." He said, "You have to let Hunding kill him." Mm-hmm. And Brunhilde's like, but wait a second, 
like 10 minutes ago before Fricka arrived, you told me that I had to protect Zygmunt at all costs and make sure that Hundig is the one that dies in the duel. And Wotan's like, nope, we have to follow Fricka's wishes. Uh, Zygmunt has to die. So Z- Brunhilde leaves and she kind of knows as she's leaving because she knows the whole backstory of the ring and of why he had the twins in the first place and all of these kinds of things. She knows that Wotan doesn't really want Zygmunt to die. So she is very conflicted because she loves Wotan, but his orders that he's given her seem to contradict what she thinks he truly wants. She goes down to earth. Zygmunt and Zyglinda are there. Zyglinda has fainted. Um, she's exhausted. And Brunhilde approaches Zygmunt while Zyglinda's passed out. And she's like, hey, Zygmunt, I'm a Valkyrie. I have it on good authority, a.k.a. the gods, that uh, you're about to die. And <laughs> Gonna die. She's like, you're gonna die. But then she says to him, don't worry. When you die, I will take you up to Valhalla and you can live forever in Valhalla as a soldier in, in Wotan's army, mm-hmm. right? And then he says to her, can Zyglinda come with me to Valhalla? And she says, mm, nope, that's not the way that works. I don't think she can come with you. And he said, well, then I don't want to go to Valhalla. I'm not going to do that. And so I'm going to stay here. And Brunhilde's like, well, if you come with me now, you don't actually have to die. You can just, like, live forever in Valhalla. And he's like, nope, I would rather die or risk death and be with my love, Zyglinda. My sister wife. My sister, who is also my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, then go to Valhalla and live without her. And he's like, and furthermore, look at this. I got this sword this pretty awesome sword (laughs) that I'm pretty sure my dad put in the tree for me. So I'm pretty confident that I'm going to kill Hunding anyway. So you don't really have anything to worry about Brunhilde. All right. And Brunhilde is extremely moved by how deeply Zygmunt loves Zyglinda that she is like on the spot. She makes a very rash decision that she's going to defy the orders that her father Wotan gave her and she's going to help Zygmunt win against Hundig. Bad choice. For the sake of his deep, deep love Mm -hmm. for his sister. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then Hundig arrives. You see you hear his life motif. Uh, He attacks Zygmunt. Brunhilde uses her power to give Zygmunt the upper hand. So it looks like Zygmunt's about to win. And then at the last second... Wotan appears and he comes in and he shatters Zygmunt's sword with his Oath of Spears. Oh, or that was, you know, his Spear of Oaths. <laughs> Short <laughs> lived. Right. And then as Zygmunt is now disarmed, uh, Hundig takes advantage of this and he stabs him and Zygmunt falls down dead. Brunhilde is obviously very shocked. And she goes around and gathers up the fragments of the sword and puts them all, like, in her bag. And then Zyglinda is basically like, I just want to stay here and die. Because, like, what's the point of living anymore now that Zygmunt's dead? Oh, these two. And then Brunhilde's like, you have to live because... 
guess what? Your preggers. Hey. So. so I have a question about the <laughs> timeline, if I if I may, for one second. Yes. Um. Yes, they were together one night. Yes, they did get it on. Yes, she did get pregnant. Then this all happened in the course of the day. Yes. Okay, I'm just. That's fine. Now I know. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. Brunhilde says, you have to live for the sake of your child, for the sake of the child that you made with this man that you love. So if you come with me on my horse now, we can leave right now, but you got to go right now and I'll save you. That baby's going to be so fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that baby later. The savior of them all. Maybe. Missing limbs. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) So then she basically... Brunhilde puts Zieglinda on her horse and the two of them like ride away as fast as Brunhilde can possibly go because Wotan is extremely angry with Brunhilde and he's like, what is happening? Why are you defying me? And he starts chasing her. Mm. Right. But before Wotan starts chasing her, that scene ends uh, with Wotan basically being like, this is all ridiculous. And in a, fit of rage, I guess, against the world, he actually uh, strikes down Hunding. And so he's like, I know, even though Hunding did what he was supposed to do and what was supposed to happen, (laughs) right? I think Wotan's just like so full of emotions in the moment, he can't control them or express them in a healthy way. And so he's like, everybody has to die! He's in a glass case of emotion. Yes. And so he kills Hunding, I'm assuming for, as revenge for killing Zygmunt, Mm because he like secretly loved Zygmunt. And then he basically swears that he is going to make Brunhilde pay for defying her, him, and gets on his horse in pursuit of her. All right. Okay. End of act two. End of act two. Curtain. Act three begins with the moment you've all been waiting for. Mm. The ride of the Valkyries.
All right, so as this act opens with this epic music, this music is actually depicting all nine or all eight of the Valkyries riding across the sky. They're each carrying uh, a dead hero on their way back to Valhalla, and they're kind of meeting partway to uh, rendezvous with each other. And so this is a moment where you also get to hear some of uh, Wagner's made-up nonsense language that he used. So they have this cry, which is like their communication cry where they sing Hoya to Ho. Mm-hmm. That is where this comes from. All the Valkyries sing Hoya to Ho to each other and they like call it back and forth. And so then all of the sister Valkyries are kind of gathering together and they're chatting really excitedly about all of the fallen heroes that they've recovered to bring back to Valhalla. And then they're like, ladies, somebody's missing. Where is Brunhilde? <laughs> And then they all look out over the sky and then they see her riding and they're like, OMG, I've never seen her ride that fast and that hard. What is going on? And they see that um, Votan is chasing her and she arrives and then they're like, OMG, why does she have a woman on the back of her horse? (laughs) Um, And so then Brunhilde says to the Valkyries, uh, she gets off her horse and she says, sisters, you have to help me. Um, I've defied our father and uh, I need to save this woman and he is in pursuit of me. You have to help me hide. You have to help me get out of here. And Zieglinda again is like, I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this without uh, Zygmunt. And Brunhilde is like, nope, you have to keep going because you're pregnant with Zygmunt's child. You have to remain alive for the sake of the child. And then she says, not only do you have to remain alive, but I already know what you have to name him. You have to name him Siegfried. All right. And then she says, here, take all the fragments of this sword that your brother lover tried to defeat (laughs) Hundig with. Mm -hmm. Um, And she says, keep all of this because one day uh, Siegfried is going to need this. And they have this moment where it's like epic sisterhood where Sieglinda thanks Brunhilde for her loyalty, for saving her, and she resolves that she's going to save her child. And it's in this moment, in this exchange between Sieglinda and Brunhilde, where you hear a leitmotif that you have not heard before. It's called the redemption motif or redemption by love. There's a bunch of different names for it. But essentially... You hear it here for the first time, and you're not going to hear it again until the end of Gotodamarung. So it's very important because it has a lot of, like, meaning associated with it. So um, Zieglinda resolves that she is going to save the child. And so Brunhilde's like, you have to run away now. Um, just run for your life. I will stay here and deal with Photon. So Zieglinda leaves with the sword. 
as she's leaving, Votan arrives, and the Valkyries in the beginning are like, oh, are you looking for Brunhilda? What's happening? And <laughs> Votan's like, don't even try it, ladies. Like, I know she's here. I've got, I've got to punish her. She has defied me. And if any of you stand in my way, I'll punish you along with her. Mm-hmm. So, the, of course, they, like, step back. And then they have this epic moment where Votan's like, you disobeyed me. You are no longer a Valkyrie. You are now just a mere mortal woman. And as punishment, I am going to put you to into a deep, deep sleep on a mountaintop, defenseless, and you are going to be prey for any man who finds you. Thanks, Dad. Um, and so... <laughs> Jesus. Right. Right. Harsh. And then Brunhilde is like, will you at least let me explain myself? And Votan's like, like, why did you defy me? I gave you direct orders. And then she's like, but dad, I know what was in your heart. I know that you wanted Zygmunt to live. I know that you didn't want him to die. And I was just trying to do what I thought you really, truly wanted, even though it was against Fricka's wishes. And I really believed after meeting him, Zygmunt and Zyglinda, that their love was this beautiful thing and he was the bravest of heroes. And so I felt compelled to save him and Zyglinda. And then Votan says, all right, well, I still have to punish you. I'm still going to put you into that deep sleep, but I will summon Loga, the demigod of fire. And Mm -hmm. remember, Loga was in Rheingold too. And he said, I will put you inside a circle of flames so that if any man does actually make it to you to wake you up from this sleep, he will only be the bravest of men. And so anyone who actually gets to you will have to walk through fire to get to you. And therefore he must be a brave and noble person. And so the act ends with him saying goodbye to her and basically putting her to sleep and drawing the ring of fire around her and that is how the opera ends she went down in a burning ring of fire <laughs> were down, you saving down, that for like down, three minutes <laughs> and the flames just went higher and it burns 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 burn, 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 a ring of fire just the, the all right ring so of fire. my question having never seen this opera the love between the incest twins mm-hmm. um, <laughs> is only ever really portrayed as anything as like beautiful and pure and mm-hmm. yes I have so many things and I want to say right now Fricka has a big problem with them yeah. but she's the only one she's the only one really who has a big problem with them yeah I think the thing is also is that the, the music is beautiful surrounding their like love affair Mm -hmm. it's it's this incredibly rich music that i mean it's it's pretty drawn out like maybe too drawn out but yes it's pretty and so the aesthetic that's given by the music is that this is a beautiful love Mm -hmm. so i think modern audiences and probably audiences when the opera premiered were still thinking oh that's kind of weird but it's pretty (laughs) gotta keep that bloodline pure Right. I know. I wonder if it's Wagner was... It's not like a family was... tree. It's just like a stick. Like a line. <laughs> right. It's just a stick. 
I wonder if this was like secretly Wagner's wish for his own family. Didn't he? He Ew. named his child. He named his child Siegfried. Siegfried, yes. Yeah. But he was not related by family ties to his wife. I know. I know. Cosima, but. Yeah, I, yeah, a lot of people have written about like what it means, the ring cycle, and I think that some people have read into Wagner's extreme, um, I guess, I don't even know the right word for it. They've read into the fact that he only paints this love as being a beautiful, wonderful thing, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. him supporting this idea of some kind of like, pure bloodline or like a return to purity and things like that and especially since we know that Wagner was an incredibly anti-semitic man that there's also people who think that this is him like trying to make veiled statements about some kind of demolishing of an old order and and the coming of a new order that is somehow purified of the world's ills and things like that um he never really said exactly what he imagined this new order to be but um, Fricka's the only one who dissents, really. And mm. she's she's really like the voice of reason and being like, this is wrong, and calling Votan out for allowing it to go on purely for selfish reasons, because the only reason Votan lets it happen is because he hopes that Zygmunt will get him the ring back. Mm. Well, I don't want to give things away, and actually it's not giving things away because I've never seen the next opera, uh, Siegfried. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's insinuated in in Die Valkyra when Brunhilde is talking about this child that's going to be born. She's insinuating that like he's going to be this like hero, like the hero that Votan was hoping for. That everyone was waiting for. Well, right. I mean, I'll just say it now because it won't come up again for another two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that particular motif that you hear when Zeglinda and Brunhilde talk to each other um, and when it's around the moment when Zieglinda decides to live for the sake of the child and she only makes that decision because Brunhilde convinces her to Mm -hmm. when you hear that motif the redemption motif you're not going to hear it again until the world is redeemed at the end Uh of of God of Demerang when like everything when the ring is returned to the Rhine right Um, Mm -hmm. and so there's this and it only gets returned because of Siegfried, her son. And so there is this idea that in that moment, she makes a decision that will eventually lead to this redemption of the world. But there's a whole like five hours of stuff that happens in between to get to that moment where things are, (laughs) where the redemption actually happens. And so a lot of people have also written about the connection between this moment with Zieglinda and Brunhilde and the idea of redemption as it comes about in Götterdämmerung. But mm-hmm. well, yeah. fair enough. That'll give you some build up into our next installment of Ring episodes when we talk about Siegfried. Mm-hmm. But we actually plan on having a slight respite yes. from the Ring in the middle, just in case anybody who shares Elspeth's beliefs doesn't just forget about this podcast forever. Uh. Right. We get that it's not everybody's thing, and, you know, the stories are kind of nuts, so... They are. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) oddly enough, next week we'll be talking about a different story 
that is also extremely dramatic and with a slight version of incest. So yep. there well, you I have it. I guess that's right. <laughs> We're on a roll, people. We're on a roll. Well, this will be our trivia in the meantime. That's all that we'll give you right. uh, as <laughs> far as April what that... April is incest month here <laughs> right. at Opera After Dark. Yeah, that's all we're going to give you, so you'll have to guess what what opera we're going to be talking about. But we'll be back with you shortly with that episode. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Uh, we certainly appreciate you listening. Please go and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Also, please visit patreon.com slash operaafterdark. Uh, we'd love to have your support there. We look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Bye. Kill the wabbit. Kill the wabbit. Kill the wabbit.